On this episode of Bootstrappers, Jeremy and I are going to talk about how to manage remote teams. This isn't going to be a basics course. This is how to get your remote team to be as effective and efficient as possible. That's on this episode of Bootstrappers. Welcome to Bootstrappers, a unique program designed to help make your business better. From property management to remote workers, Bootstrappers is here to help your business succeed. Bootstrappers is a production of Anaquim LLC. So let's lace up those business boots and join bootstrappers with jeremy and gwen aspen welcome to bootstrappers where we talk about topics that matter to real estate professionals and property management professionals um i'm your host jeremy aspen and i'm accompanied by my lovely spouse gwen aspen hey gwen hey uh today we're going to talk about uh making the most out of the remote professionals about commonly referred to as virtual assistants uh, because we've been in this for now a year uh, you know this COVID thing and the virtual assistant world is kind of gone we've all become everybody's become remote professionals everybody's working from home so we've kind of gone through the grind of trying to figure out how to make things work uh, we've been here to help hopefully make that a little bit easier for you and now we're entering version 2.0 we need to be more sophisticated as companies we need to understand what it is we want out of our businesses in this new environment from now on a go-forward basis and uh, help make your companies run a little bit more effectively so Anaquim powers bootstrappers we help at anaquim companies transform and scale their businesses improve their profitability whether it's virtual assistance 24-hour call center for maintenance leasing or full-blown back office support we've got you covered so one thing we do love our fans we do love the people uh you know the listeners and uh if you would if you'd be so kind to leave a little bit of a comment a like a share it's always of course appreciated we do love the feedback and at the end of the show we'll do a little bit of a uh, we'll give a book away uh a, a book that we prefer that we think you'd probably uh benefit from so one of the things that i wanted to cover jeremy and this one was building trust, but the how to build trust more more importantly, because I think a lot of people understand that building trust is really important with remote team members. Um, Although I would say that not everybody does understand that. You might wanna... Okay, well let me give an example of something that happened last week that was really kind of hit home for me personally that building trust was important. So um, I'm trying to develop my staff. So I had them on an interview for a key position with me. And then after the interview, we discussed whether this person would be a good fit for our team. Now, I didn't think that she was gonna be a good fit to the team because she was too much, this was for an HR role, and she was too much of the mindset of like, I do what I'm told, I shut up, I put up, you know, I do, I do whatever you want me to do, and she lacked a lot of the creativity, and I was trying to tell the staff that I didn't really want her interacting with our professionals at our company because I didn't want her to give advice with those leanings towards it. Because that's not how we are. We're not that company where we don't want people to give input, we don't care what people say, um, where we don't want people to, I don't know, like change the processes and procedures. And so I just didn't think that she gave the right impression. And I must have used the word image, that she's not the right image for the company. Mm. And it got misconstrued 
And then everybody was talking about this interview and what I had said, and then it got misconstrued further where the person who does our onboarding training, we train several uh, remote professionals every single week, and he got the impression that some, somehow, I don't know how this happened, that I thought he was too ugly to do first day training. I literally have no idea where that came from. But different, it's like that, uh, what's the, the phone? You know, when you go yes, around Yes, it was like the telephone game. game. So anyway, as soon as I had heard this, I was absolutely horrified. So I get on, the, get on a video call with him right away, and I was like, oh my God, you know I've never thought that. It's never even crossed my head, so I know I didn't say it. Like, we have to f- dig down and figure out what happened here, because there's no way that I said that about you. And, I, and so what happened is through that conversation to really persuade him that it never happened, we had to rely on our past history working together. And that's where the trust came in. But he had worked with me. I'd already given him feedback on not saying the word girls in training. I'm like, we refer, it's work environment. We have to say women. I gave him feedback on several things. He's never heard me gossip about another colleague. He's never heard me say anything about anybody's appearance. And so we had to really work on our history so that it hit home the point that I would never say that about him. And I think it it totally worked. Here's the point. If I hadn't been able to draw on our history of working together and building that relationship ahead of time, maybe he would have been disgruntled. Maybe he'd be looking for another job, maybe. And then think about the cost of that. I would have lost a great employee over miscommunication. Um, I mean, and it would have cost the company dearly in so many areas. And so the 30 minutes of fixing the problem and the time I put in building the trust was totally worth it. Well, and you were, I think, if I'm not mistaken, you had started that one at a little bit of a disadvantage because that employee didn't have a lot of, a lot of time with us. So even in the short history that we've had with them, you could draw back on something. And I suppose part of the takeaway of that is if you have remote staff, you just need to, they just need to know that you're in it for them, that you've got their back on stuff. I also think you just have to put the time in. So uh, like, I think there's this misconception that you put more time in getting to know people if they are in your office than you do if they're remote, but I think the time has to be equal. So here are some of the takeaways of the how to do this. So the first thing is when you're training them, Get to know their pets' names, their families' names, their hobbies, all that personal stuff right on the front end. Do you agree with that? Yeah, make and what I would do is I'd put it in the software so that when you go into the software or when you're gonna go in to have a conversation with them, make sure it's front and center. Make sure it's available for you to- Like remember their wife's name and their kids' names. Yeah, because it is a lot to ask to remember every employee's first name, last name, marital status, kids, all that stuff. But it's not less genuine to just because you have a reminder so that the conversation is a little bit more fluent. And it, that alone gives you the confidence to be able to have or be able to ask those questions about the well-being of people that are important to them. So one of the other things is that trust isn't built in one meeting, spending 15 minutes getting to know somebody. It has to be built over time. So some ways that are helpful to do that is a daily huddle with your team. So Jeremy, you've been doing huddles forever. So do you wanna talk about what a huddle is? Yeah, so a huddle is 
nowadays uh, in our maintenance staff at Wistar Group they all participate in a morning huddle um, generally used to be that everybody would come to the office we'd have a quick little five minute uh, meeting uh, huddle and then people would talk and chat and they'd kind of get their work orders and everything figured out um, but now we're doing all of those for COVID remotely even our maintenance staff so they're calling in to a number, they do a roll call, which is something that's a little bit different, but do a roll call, and then you just go over uh, one little fun thing that's been going on. Maybe it's something funny, some sort of an opener. Uh, Maybe it might, it's a joke. It could be a joke. Um, uh, this is one that you do have a have a word that you try to fit into just regular conversation. Well, that's for a different. But l- let's just stick with the huddle first. The f- huddle. So like and a it, swing thought of like how are you feeling? So everybody says like I'm feeling. Just one word. So I'm feeling tired. Hopefully that's not the word, but tired or happy or excited or um, bored, whatever it is, just a word about how they're feeling to help feel connected. And then a swing thought of like, okay, I want everybody to focus on uh, smiling on the phone today. It's also a quick opportunity to let people know of something that's going on that day. Like uh, Jerome is going to be absent for the day or the assistant property manager isn't going to be in, so please uh, yeah. direct calls to somewhere else. And that helps a fluency of the conversation. So even if people aren't in the office, they kind of have a beat on what's going on in the office. And, and if you stack your meetings correctly, uh, you're, you can also get information from your staff uh, and that information can be rolled up to later huddles or even level 10 meetings later on that day or later on in the week. And so what you were getting at before is um, the stupid word of the week. So I'm just going to tell a story. When I was in corporate America at a publicly traded company, this we would have these really boring sales meetings because our sales had to hit in the right quarter. So they're called deal reviews. And they were very tiring and not fun. So the sales staff would create a word that we tried to throw into the meeting and see if the managers could figure out what the word was. So at first when we did this, we started with something easy like spoiled eggs. So you could be like, ah, that meeting sucked. It was spoiled eggs. I don't know why it was so entertaining. And then we moved on to like, it was usually food related, like hash browns or I don't know. And we just had so much fun with our secret word. It was stupid, but it was entertaining. So another way to build uh, trust between people is just build in one to three minutes with your one-on-ones, just talking about your lives. Now I'm a driver. I like to go fast. I like to get things checked off my list. It's hard for me to sometimes do the one to three minutes. I do love people, so it's not that hard. But I do have to remind myself, don't go straight to the work. Connect first, then do the work. And that really helps with trust. Additionally, um, a clear the air exercise. You want to speak through that? Yeah, clear the air really is. It's something I learned at uh, an EO. but before, Entrepreneur's organization. <laughs> Entrepreneur's organization. And what you do is you just make sure that everything that's uh, everything between you and somebody else is good or if there is something that's that's off a little bit that's an opportunity for you to bring it up and have a quick little discussion i kind of consider like gwen and i for our marriage we have a 24-hour rule and that's kind of like clear the air it's like clear the air so that if i'm thinking of our rule is if you have something that's a problem or you're thinking about it in a negative way 24 hours after the infraction um it's your responsibility to bring it up to me to bring it up to her and she to me 
And what it does, even if it sounds silly or is stupid, if I'm feeling uncomfortable about something that was said, then it's a buildup. It's just, it's, it, it, if you're not clear, you can't really move forward on anything else, or at least it's a big roadblock. So clear in the air, you really just go around, you say, you know, Matt, are we clear? Matt says, yes. Are we clear? And yes. I would say, let's say I say no. I say, no, Jeremy, I'm not clear. You know, you really hurt my feelings in that meeting. I thought your tone was a little rude in front of that client. And it, um, you know, made them think less of my part. Now it's going to be hard for me to move the deal forward or whatever it is. Or, or I could even say, I'm not clear. Team, I want to apologize to all of you. I wasn't in the game last week. I, I'm, I was tired, I had some personal stuff, and I felt like I let you all down. And I wanna say I'm sorry, and I want you to know that I'll do better this week. So that would be another clear. It doesn't always have to be someone else's infraction. You can take responsibility for your infraction in that part of the meeting as well. And I think that's almost 50% of the our instances, they end up being just someone kind of apologizing to the group, like, hey, I wasn't in it all day, or I, I didn't get my work done, as I'd said. And that's perfectly, what's well, taking responsibility and it's what you want to do because if you say that and someone else was thinking it okay we've kind of cleared that roadblock it's a little bit smoother path we can go forward another thing that has helped uh, us with our remote staff is when we do hear about something in their lives that's going on making a short video so whether it's that they just got engaged, they're getting, they, they just had a wedding, or someone in their family died, I try to make a little video and have it sent to them um, so that they know that we care personally about them. So another thing that has been helpful is happy hours. So we try to do those at every holiday. So we did one for Halloween, we did one for Christmas, and uh, 45 minutes, play a game. There's a, a thing called Jackbox on the internet. They're hilarious, they're super fun. We dressed up for Halloween. We asked people what their favorite Halloween movie is. Just having a good time periodically, like say once a quarter, uh, for 45 minutes at the end of the day goes a long way to building trust and having a fun work environment and keeping people engaged. Um, so the last and, thing, oh, go ahead, Jeremy. Well, I would just say, um, during, when you have a physical work environment, there are some outlets for some of these things to happen. Because one thing I think we've all learned during this pandemic is that we enjoy other people's company for mm -hmm. the most part. Uh, and we don't get that right now. But in, in part of what we enjoy about other people's company is that a lot of these issues kind of resolve themselves because you're with somebody, they can pick up on uh, you know cues or, or that you're angry, and so those things have more of a way of resolving themselves more naturally. This is kind of like a virtual water cooler. Yeah. You just want to use this as an instrument to make sure that, even though it might feel a little cheesy once in a while, like clear the air, tough shit you got to do something different well and, and and you're gonna and that's good information to know yeah and that really does help build the confidence and then when people do clear the air be happy about it i will say just at our um level 10 which we'll get into those a little bit later in the show but at our level 10 today someone got a little spicy a little upset and i said you know what that was awesome because i think we have a trust level that's high enough that we we can talk about hard things. We can address issues that piss you off. And if we're not addressing those, then as a leadership team, we're failing you because we're not talking about the real things that are going on in our employees' lives, and then we don't have a beat on the business. And let me just say one other thing. Like you're going to bring something up about Halloween, but 
when we get back to the office, this is important to know. So anybody that's watching this in 2022, 2023, you got to keep this stuff up like for your remote staff. You've got to uh, keep doing things. Not because a lot of those pressure valves I was talking about earlier are going to come back. We're going to have water coolers. We're going to have those so, that social interaction. But we're still going to have remote employees. That's the way the world is going to work from now on into the future. So you're saying you have to include them because that's one of the worst feelings when you're remote is like there's all this stuff going on at the office and you're the last to know. Right. And so that doesn't really feel good for our remote staff. Okay, Jeremy, I want to move on to KPIs. Um, and uh, we really, so KPIs, of course, we all know as business owners, you, if, what do they say? If, it, if you can't measure it, it doesn't matter. And what having remote teams, like mostly remote teams does, is it enforces that you have to have good key performance measures. So I wanna talk about some of them that have worked for us at Wistar Group. Total call time, average call time, notes in the system, I found people slacking off so much through just doing like a notes report. Like really? You were working for eight hours and you made five notes in the system? That's not working. Um, no, number of service issues touched, number of applications processed, and here's a new one that we just started initiating. It's called error rate. So, so a lot of you all know that salespeople tend to not be detail oriented. And then the operations people feel like crap because the salespeople are like, sorry, we don't care about details, you handle it, and then they feel dumped on. So, but it's kind of like in our marriage, like I knew you were messy when I married you, and then, <laughs> and so one of my things was I wasn't gonna complain about it for the rest of your life, because I knew it when I married you, right? Yeah. So like, why ruin your life over it? So we all know salespeople aren't detail oriented, so let's give them a number, an acceptable error rate number, and if they stay in the number of how many mistakes they can make, no one gets to be mean to them. No one gets to even complain. That's the error rate that's acceptable. When you're outside of the error rate, now the operations people can complain, but we're not going to complain about sales every day of the week when we know it won't get better. Yeah, and that has its roots in being human. Yeah. Like we all have different rates of error, I'm sure. Um, but if we pick up on, if we pick on every single person's, every single mistake that every single person makes, you can understand how a weekly meeting might digress into just a negative like Nancy. Like a pile on. Yeah, a pile on, or just infuse the entire conversation with negativity and. And that just makes it less fun to work there. Yeah. So let let people off or have one-on-one -on -one conversations when it affects you. And uh, have it maybe have an error rate. Okay, here's another thing that I've learned and I'm finally managing better. And it is trusting but verifying. So at our companies, people, if you're responsible for, everybody has a KPI. Everyone has a number they're responsible for. And then in the weekly meeting, they're responsible for updating the software saying that they did that. But uh, we gotta verify those numbers, because what I found is that you teach someone how to get the number, and then somehow they start getting it a different way, and it's not even true. The number's not true. So I think managers should spend an hour at the end of the month and just spot check the KPIs to make sure they're accurate, and spot check the lists to make sure they don't get messy, because I don't know what it is, but nobody ever closes out a service issue if you have a customer service 
tickets or you have service issues, no one ever sh- closes those out, so the lists get really messy. Do you agree? If you if there's not somebody there that says, hey, um, this is wrong, it's not according to the procedure or whatever, or even your preferences, who cares if it's written down? It, it really, if it's something that you want, you need to get back to them and say, hey, this is getting too long, what's going on? Or, hey, this is just out of scope, you gotta fix this. Because otherwise what happens is people start to adapt their to the, create their own workflows to create what they think is the most efficient way of doing things. And the damnedest thing is they might be right, but they're doing it in their own little um, column when what they could be doing is just suggesting that, you know, maybe we could do this this way. And then you set up your system to allow for it so that the list doesn't look like it's going crazy. And so that you have actually goes back to human resources and stuff like that. You can measure what it is they're doing. But to your point, like today I had, I went back and I went through all, I went through the last level 10 meetings of every department. That's our meet, our weekly meetings. Our weekly meetings and the agenda and what they got done. And I just checked it. I just checked to make sure that all the numbers were actually completed. They weren't. Uh, so yeah, I write an email and tell them, you didn't have your number of work orders uh, completed in time for your meeting. You can't do that. These have to be done beforehand. And, and remember, just really quick, uh, remember when we had service issues, like thousands of service issues, somehow no one had checked that they'd been closed. Yeah. And then we had to hire an intern and his only job was to close out service issues. What a waste of money. If waste. someone had just kept it up, then we wouldn't have had that price or that expense. Okay, another thing that's important when we trust but verify, obviously we have to give feedback when people screw up and whenever I give feedback, I always go back to the procedure to see if there is something that they've adjusted on their own because it didn't work and they didn't write it back in the procedure, or if there was something that wasn't clear, or if something's completely left out. And the reason I always do that is because I wanna train them to always go to the procedures when they have questions so that they're not always calling. I mean, and, that the right hand always knows what the left hand is doing and we have a culture of using procedures. And it's a way for, you know, when it comes to discipline, uh, anytime you're disciplining somebody, make sure that you refer to the procedure that they didn't do or that they did incorrectly. So then if it's a third time, you can refer back to the third time you reference that procedure and it makes it easier to let people go. So when I wasn't doing the, going back to the procedures, I, I mean, I'm, we're not perfect, we make mistakes. So I wasn't going back to the procedures. I got um, accused of favoritism. That's, so, and the law so will do the same thing to you. Procedures and processes, you know, you have those people that are super charming and they just charm the pants off you and then you make exceptions for them because you just adore your people. I was not aware of this. <laughs> They're that charming. This might be a problem. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> anyway, so they, <laughs> so they, <laughs> so <laughs> people are really charming and then you make exceptions for them and I never want to have a company where it seems like there's favoritism of one employee over another. And so I've realized that the more we go to the procedures, the less drama, the less, uh, there's no, well, there's less of a chance of it becoming a toxic environment and everyone knows what to expect. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> still laughing at me. Yeah. Well, yeah, and there's legal reasons for it too. I mean, uh, if you let somebody go without having had a r- decent procedure uh, and referring to it, then favoritism becomes a huge liability, especially if it's uh, interrupted or if you are taking into account race, sex, religion. The, or you can be accused. Or of you can be accused this. of it. It doesn't even have to be true. Right. It can just look like it. So another thing to measure, so I love measuring things. I love it. I love my measuring stick and I love the numbers, but there are qualitative. <laughs> I could have used that one. I could have used that. That's how she landed me. <laughs> You're killing me here. I'm getting so sweaty. Oh my God. Okay. So qualitative performance measures. So like call monitoring. So sometimes the, the KPIs measure the wrong thing. So let's give an example. <laughs> this one's good. Let, let, let's talk about where we measured the wrong things. So we had one measurable, which was the length of a call. And we we're trying to keep calls at Wister Group under seven minutes. It was actually on average less than two minutes. Okay. So, but, but under seven and we were like, telling our customer service people, hey, just manage the call, use your tricks, you've been trained, you know how to manage call time and the conversation. But somebody was really obsessed with this measure of not having a call over seven minutes. So through call monitoring, and I suppose we could have figured this out through some of the The reporting. Complaints. (laughs) Complaints or reporting, but we found out he was literally hanging up on people. At seven minutes. At seven minutes, he just hang up. In the middle of a a sentence, he'd be talking about, well, Mr. Client, we could do... He would like act it, like the, that. The, oh, sorry, we up. got disconnected. But yeah. he was managing his KPI by hanging up on people. And so he didn't last because not only was he hanging up on him, he wasn't always calling him back. Oh my god! He was waiting for them to call back and get him. And obviously, that's not. But we would have we known that without the call monitoring process and the call monitor. I mean. These people, if you're working remotely, if you have remote individuals answering your phones, you're not going to be able to manage them through osmosis. You have to go into your call platform and listen to the calls or have somebody do it with a form. We've we've delegated that to other people. Have people, their job is to go through the form, do um, call monitoring, and then they can have a quality meeting with everybody in customer service and say, hey, I've noticed that we're doing this. Go back to the procedure. This is how we you know, do onboardings, this is how we do onboarding surveys, whatever it is, and they can teach everybody best practices over and over again. When we did that regularly, our customer service was like top And make notch. sure you put that, like if you're a rent manager, client, or something like where you can have a work order that has user-defined fields, make sure one of your user-defined fields is the score. Because you want, after something is closed out in the field, you want it to show up on somebody else's list and somebody to fill that field in with a number. And that number takes it off of, the, off of that list. But you need to ask the question, or at least call a, a tenant and ask them the question, hey, well, how was your experience on a scale of one to five? Okay. okay, so you're talking about surveys, so yeah, in uh, maintenance surveys. Yeah, which is another way of doing this. And then, so you get the um, get the, the number in there for the survey. Even if you don't get a hold of them, leave a message and tell the tenant that that's why you were calling, right? And then if you do get a hold of them, get a number from them, put it in there, and use that information to review the average on a weekly basis. Bring it up in your meetings. Make yeah. that one of the KPIs. We did that. And that's nice because you can always tell the difference between a 4.7 and a 4.1 is something bad happened. 
and you can drill down and find out on a weekly basis. If you do it at a weekly basis, you can drill down and find out something happened, look into it, and see if it was resolved correctly. Yeah, and we're using the past tense just because we're working at Anaquim more these days, but we still do that at Wistar. So, oh, no, we do that at the uh, Rent Manager Call Center, too. Oh, okay, yeah, great. Yeah, so we do about uh, 150 surveys a week. One of the other things is we all know that if there's a bad move-in, the tendency of that person for the rest of the time is miserable. So those surveys and then being able to follow up right away and change their experience with the company on the front end will save you so much time in the long run. Would you not agree? Uh, it's yeah, the best investment ever is making sure and doing a survey that someone's move-in was awesome and if it wasn't, oh, get, get on there. it. Get on it and make sure that you're fixing it because you'll waste so much time. And for whatever it's worth, forever. it also has been better if the leasing agent or the person that they initially met at the property, if they did, does that or the first person they kept in touch just to keep the contiguousness like okay i met you you moved in especially if there's a handoff and then now you're done moving in is everything okay they, they just like that we got better results when we had one person that's a at good the idea yeah. okay so let's talk about training people because i think this is this is legitimately hard i'm not going to sugarcoat it it's easier to train somebody when they're in person but you can mimic it um, the best way possible by just having your webcam on, just know it's gonna suck. You're gonna have two days. So this is how I like to train people remotely. First, we go over the information. So it's kind of like, I'm gonna be giving you a lecture. I'm gonna show you this process procedure. We're gonna go through it. You can watch me do it. Then when they're doing it and following the process or procedure, or following the instructions you gave them, then they're on webcam for two straight days. And it sucks. I mean, but that's what you would do in an office, right? You would be like, oh, I taught you how to do this. Now sit over here. And if you have a question, answer, you know, I'll, I'm here to answer it. So we found that that is the fastest, most efficient way to operate. Now, that's not always reality. Like you've got other things to do, you have meetings. So um, if you can't be there, the other best thing is just to have a, like a Google Docs that you share with ongoing questions in it. So as they're training, if they mm -hmm. come up with a question, then they put it on the sheet and then you go through it in a meeting and answer all their questions at once. The other thing that I love to do is an FAQs sheet that they write. So as they're gathering information, learning new things, they create their own FAQs sheet. And just, it's kind of like a list of all the things that they learned and that are important information that they'll have to disseminate to tenants or owners or whatever. Um, another thing is, let's, let's say you don't have perfect processes and procedures. It's always a moving target. They change all the time. And so if you don't have great written procedures, then for them to be flying on their own, they have to write the procedures. They have to write the manual for their job before they get, you know, allow, before they're allowed to leave the nest and they're on their own and they're just responsible in, as a regular employee, not as a trainee. And another helpful hint is that if you do have processes and procedures, when you're training somebody, 
walk through them while you're doing the work because what inevitably happens is you identify something that's not going the way it's supposed to and you can make a quick turn or it's not quick change or it's not clear you can make a quick change to the procedure right then and there or maybe there's a better idea and you actually just change the the, what the content of the procedure but going through step by step through the procedures lets them know that you're a procedures driven company and two helps you when you're especially if you're at the higher levels kind of get grounded back into the operation and understand how things work yes i think that that's imperative um which gets to the clarity of the role like you need to know when you're going through the procedures. That's a nice way of, it's really the most and maybe the only real effective way of telling people what's expected of them. And it's very uh, it's very common that there isn't clarity in a role. Uh, we hear that feedback often from remote staff. That's probably the main reason we lose uh, clients isn't because necessarily the remote professional was doing a bad job but because the remote professional didn't know what their job was and couldn't meet expectations. Yes, I think that that is true. Another thing is that when we don't have clarity in exactly what the expectations are, then they tend to not know who they report to or they get conflicting information from two different people on how to do their role and they get fired maybe in, in the worst case scenarios because drama they put, picked the wrong person to follow in yeah. terms of suggestions on how to do it so I do want to tell a story to kind of hit this point home so we had an owner of a company hire a remote staff member but then he's kind of out you know getting business doing his thing and the remote staff member was responsible for approving applications for two different property managers so um, it she didn't complain about this. We had her annual review, and it was weird because in our personality, we do a quantitative personality survey, and her role was perfect for her personality, except she was expending an inordinate amount of time to be exactly who she is. It just didn't match up. I've never seen it in my life, actually, this report, what it said. It was very weird. And I was digging into why it would be that it would take so much energy to be exactly who she was. Like, if it's perfect for you, why is it so hard? Well, the problem was is that she had, that that the property managers were ranked on their vacancy rate, and one property manager was obsessed with it, and she would have this remote professional bypass all their rules for um, credit score, and she would let like anybody in these apartments. And the remote staff member was in kind of a pickle because if she um, if she said something, she'd probably get fired because that woman was who she interacted ever, with every day and would make her look bad in some way or another. But she knew it wasn't right because she'd taken fair housing with us. Mm. And so anyway, the point is, is that was one of those issues where does she work for the property manager? Or she work for the owner of the company. And um, also we've had this several times, not in this story, but also others where the property managers want things done differently. And this is incredibly stressful for somebody who's trying to please everybody. So my recommendation to those staff members if they're getting conflicting information is if they should make sure their processes are right. And then they should have a meeting where they're like, okay, this is how I'm doing it. Are we all on the same page or are we changing the procedure? but I'm gonna work off this procedure, but let's have a conversation if this is what you want or not. And maybe a way of measuring vacancy, another way of measuring vacancy might be to have the total collected 
rent uh, to market rent. So as opposed to being a units available, units vacant, making sure that they maintain about 93, 94% at least um, of the rents collected uh, compared to the market rent. Oh, I like that one. Okay, so one other story I wanna tell on myself because I'm totally not taking my own advice right now. <laughs> but uh, we have an administrative assistant. She works for one of our um, leaders at our company. And I need help with bootstrappers, actually. I need help getting guests and doing kind of like the background work. So I'm putting it on her desk. Like this girl's gonna now take over some of the bootstrappers information. But once I do that, that means she has two bosses. Mm. Right? So she's reporting to two separate people. She reports to me about bootstrappers. She reports to the other lady for everything else. And so my problem here is... You mean is, woman? I said lady. Is that okay? <laughs> I, I didn't know. call her a girl. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so, so I'm not taking my own advice there. So what I have to do in this case is the three of us are going to meet like bi-weekly and just make sure it's going okay. And I told her on the front end, I said, I'm putting you in a horrible position here. You're reporting to two different people. It's a bad idea by all my own recommendations. Um, so I need you to be honest with me about what, whether you can handle it or not. So, so that's where trust comes in again. All right, so we probably better wrap it up. What about a little bit of a summary? Okay, so I think the big thing is gaining trust and caring about the relationships People need to know that their managers have high expectations. We do that through the KPIs and having strong KPIs, following up on things, but also that we care about people personally. And of course, that's a lot more work when people are remote. You have to be way more deliberate about it. You cannot care about people through osmosis or through just being in the same room and being like, oh yeah, hey, how's your kid doing? You know, I know they were sick last week. It, it has to be deliberate. And this might seem simplistic, but employees do the work, supervisors supervise the work, and managers manage the people that supervise the work. And if you're calling yourself a manager, make sure that part of your job is managing the people or the operation itself, which means you have to dedicate time to do those things. It seems simplistic, but people don't do it. Yeah, I, we see that a lot. Um, another, uh, another takeaway is KPIs and make sure that you're double checking the work. Just bet, block off an hour of your time once a month to just trust but verify and make sure people are getting the numbers the way that you want them to get them and that the numbers reflect reality. Um, and then also do those qualitative measurings or measurables like listening to calls, getting surveys from uh, tenants or owners and making sure the experience of your company is, is the vision that you have for it. I would also say with training, uh, make sure that we put a lot of, uh, training is hard. And so having that time where you just have your webcam on for them to ask questions for maybe two days goes a long way into getting them up and running faster. But if you can't, make sure they're writing FAQs down and writing their processes and procedures and make sure everybody's on the same page of what their responsibilities are. In a nutshell, I think, Make sure that your company is the instrument that your employees can use to make their lives the lives they want to live. I just want to caveat, we're not perfect. Uh, <laughs> I mean, we're telling you these because we've made all the mistakes and we hope that you don't have to make them also. Well, 
Uh, but like I said, I'm still making errors like having this woman report to two separate people. Well, and we also, especially if you're a client of ours, we want you to run your company as effectively as possible because frankly, the more effective your company is run, the more successful we're going to be. And that's why we actually put this content out there to a large extent, just to make sure that your companies are, can be running as effectively as possible. So at Bootstrappers, we love to get feedback. And so if you leave a thoughtful review on Apple Podcasts or YouTube, we give out a book every single week. This week, our book is Traction, because we love Traction. We're like obsessed with Traction. Traction by Gino, uh, Will, what is it? Whitman, Gino? I don't remember. <laughs> Wickman, Wickman, Wickman. Gino Wickman. And that is our book uh, this week for the book giveaway. So that's a wrap. See you next week on Bootstrappers. This has been Bootstrappers, a unique presentation designed to help you better understand how the world turns. Contact Gwen or Jeremy at posts at bootstrappers.club or visit our website, anaquim.net. Be sure to subscribe to our podcasts on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, and our YouTube channel. Thank you and join us next time for Bootstrappers. <laughs>